Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right, week three of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. Got a little new equipment. See how it works out. Obviously, we're still in the soft launch phase. We're going to have a really big guest in a couple of weeks. So download, tell your friends, follow me on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn. Hope you're enjoying the show. We're going to talk all about the presidential race right now. So let's start it. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the Commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. What a week, baby. Another week in this crazy world of American politics. Joe Biden gets into the race this week and raises more money in the first 24 hours than Bernie did, than Beto did, than Kamala did. Raised money in every state. Uh, I think he had over 70,000 donors. Don't quote me on that. Interesting week for him. Goes on The View. Got mixed reviews on that View appearance. Um, A lot of people thought that he handled the situation uh, when he was talking about Anita Hill poorly. I I don't know. I mean, look, I I think he does need to do a better job apologizing. But I also think that, look, I mean, Joe Biden's got a long record. And we're going to talk today. I don't have a guest today because I didn't do a radio show and we're still in the soft launch mode and I've been hijacking the radio show guest and there were some issues at the station this week because the Islanders, we didn't know when they were going and going to be playing. Uh, So I wound up not doing a radio show this week. I had a crazy busy week myself. I was doing a lot of television, a lot going on this week. But I'll be back next week with a good guest. Don't you worry. And we'll do the hard launch soon. But today I just want to talk a little bit about Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And yes, I think I'm saying it right. But I'm going to start with Biden because I guess Biden's the front runner by far. No matter how you look at it, I mean, he's raised more money. He's doing better in the polls. He's clearly universally known. 
And there's going to be this battle in the party. Uh, is Joe Biden progressive enough for the party? And that is the question we're all going to wind up asking ourselves the next couple of uh, couple of months. I don't know if the Anita Hill thing is is going to be the thing that sinks Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a long record. Joe Biden is 76 years old. He'd be 78 when he took the presidency. He got elected to the United States Senate at 29 years old, 29 years old. He wasn't even eligible to be a senator when he was elected to the Senate. I think he turned 30 sometime mid-January, and then they swore him in then. So he's got a long, complex record, a record that spans, I would say, three periods in American politics. A record that starts in an era in American politics where people would do a lot of horse trading. Where you support me on this bill, I'll support you on that bill. People would par- cross party lines, especially in the U.S. Senate, where Joe Biden served the majority of his time as an elected official. So he's got a complex record. Some of it, uh, I think every progressive around this country uh, can support. I mean, he was Obama's vice president. Let's not forget how most Americans know Joe Biden. He was Obama's vice president. He helped pass the Violence Against Women's Act. He's done a lot of great things in his career. And I know that in a primary, people are going to want to focus on, you know, the things that are not as pure. And as Obama said uh, in his speech, I think two weeks ago, Democrats have a tendency to form a circular firing squad around each other. But I, for one, and if you've seen any of my television appearances the last couple of weeks, I, for one, think that the Democrats are united in one common goal. And that goal is to defeat Donald Trump no matter what. So whether you like Joe Biden or like Bernie Sanders or like Kamala Harris or like Pete Buttigieg, and they're not the Democratic nominee, I think unlike in 2016 where a lot of the progressives were upset, and then they stayed home. About 4 million Obama voters did not vote in 2016. That would have made a a huge difference, particularly in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think the American people understand, especially progressives and Democrats and left-leaning independents, I think they understand that uh, 2020 is a year that if Donald Trump gets reelected, It will basically affirm all of the bad behavior he's had the last two years or four years by then. Now, I'm not even talking about the obstruction in the Mueller report because that in and of itself is, look, I think under normal circumstances, impeachable. And I think maybe uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives need to start impeachment hearings or at least hold hearings to investigate the actions the president took, whether or not you call them impeachment hearings, I don't know. He's not going to be removed. And as I said last week on the pod, you know, having the president be impeached only to be cleared by the Senate right before the election. So the headlines around the country read Trump cleared by Senate. I don't know that that does anybody good, but I do think that exposing the president for all of the nonsense he's done over the last two years, especially in trying to really interfere in the investigation into who, or really not who, how the Russians really invaded our election 
in 2016 and how they are planning on doing it again. And clearly this president is not up to the task of stopping it. So yeah, Democrats are going to be motivated. So whether it's Joe Biden or somebody else, I think that after the primary, they might be more willing to look past the Anita Hill thing. They might be able to look past Kamala Harris's record as a prosecutor if she becomes the nominee. I mean, right now, if you look at the polls, Joe Biden has the best chance of beating Donald Trump. And Joe Biden has made a conscious effort to make this campaign about Donald Trump and not about his fellow Democrats. Now, his fellow Democrats are not abiding by that. Um, Bernie Sanders took a shot at Joe Biden saying he had a fundraiser at the home of a lobbyist. Um, I believe that Elizabeth Warren also took a shot saying that Joe Biden was on the side of the credit cards. Now, remember, uh, Elizabeth Warren rose to power, rose to fame, prominence, if you will, during the Obama administration, the Obama administration, which fought for and created the Consumer Protection Agency that Elizabeth Warren really is the creator of, but Obama is the one who pushed it through. She would have been the first director of the Consumer Protection Agency, but for Republican obstructionism in the Senate back in uh, the early days of the Obama administration. She eventually became a senator and she's going to run for president. Let's see what happens. So Biden has a complicated record. America knows and loves him. I met him once. That's not true. I met him a couple times, but I actually met him, met him once. And it was when he was a senator and I was working in the U.S. Senate. And everybody talks about, you know, how Biden's a little too touchy. Uh, I met him. I, I introduced myself to him. I was actually introduced to him by my boss, Senator Schumer at the time. And uh, he grabbed my hand. I shook his hand. He grabbed me and pulled me in. One of those kind of handshakes. And I loved it. Now, I know that that invasion of personal space has been a problem for Biden the last couple of weeks. I don't think he meant anything, you know, other than, you know, just the way he is. But I guess he'll be watching out for that. I, I We saw him on The View and he clearly kept his distance on The View. So that's Biden. Well, let's talk about Bernie for a minute. Bernie is a complicated case. Now, will I support Bernie if Bernie becomes the Democratic nominee for president? I mean, look, I don't endorse anyone. I never do. I'm a media guy. I think that it's wrong for media personalities to endorse. But I will tell you this. uh, If you've listened to me, I am not a fan of Donald Trump. And I will be looking to vote for someone who can beat Donald Trump, period. I'm not a third party voter. I'm not going to be the kind of guy who stays home. I want to see the president defeated. Now, I live in New York. So, you know, my vote uh, for president is not as valuable as if I lived in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, or Michigan, which is why I believe we need a national election in this country. Enough with this ridiculous uh, 18th century philosophy of the Electoral College when we had a bunch of independent states that were always threatening to leave. We don't have that now. We're all in it together. We're either all in it together or we're not. And if we're not, maybe it's time to dissolve anyway. But I think we are. I think we are all in it together. I think New Yorkers and Californians and Ohioans and Michiganders and Arizonans and Floridians, we're all in it together. So I don't know why Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania should matter more than me here in New York in the election. In 2016, it was very clear that Bernie's heart was not in his endorsement of the Democratic nominee. 
Hillary Clinton. And his people understood that, and many of them stayed home. More Democrats voted in the Michigan primary than voted in the general election. That is unheard of. Hillary lost Michigan by a handful of votes. So Bernie's a complicated case. He's got a lot of big ideas and not a lot of substance behind those ideas. And one of the main differences between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden is Joe Biden had to govern. Joe Biden was in the majority. Joe Biden was the chairman of a committee. Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Joe Biden governed. Bernie Sanders has always been the guy screaming into the wind. He has been that extreme left wing of Congress. He he didn't even caucus with the Democrats when he was in the House. When he joined the Senate and he was recruited by the Democrats to run for Senate in Vermont, when he ran for the Senate in Vermont, he then caucused with the Democrats. And he's got a lot of big ideas, a lot of ideas that sound very uh, pleasant if you were a young person struggling with college debt. They sound very pleasant. They sound like they're great big ideas. And I'm, I'm look, I don't like college debt. I, I'm 47 years old. I've been out of college since 1999, and I will be paying my student loans back for another 12 years. Now, I've had a pretty good life. I've earned a pretty good living. I could afford my student loan debt. I hate paying it. I mean, I went to law school and I hate paying my law school debt. I hate it. It's the one check a month. I mean, look, there are lots of checks a month I don't like writing, but that's the one I really don't like writing. My law school debt, horrible. $80,000 I came out of law school in debt, 80,000. And I got... Oh man, I got like 12 more years to go. I'm going to be 50, I'm going to be like 58 when it's done. So it's uh it's it's hard. I get it and I get how if you're, you know, 21 years old and coming out of college right now and you're facing debt even more substantial than mine, um, you know, that could be a problem and and I think what Bernie should be doing and what all Democrats should be doing is in addition to talking about the need for a change in the way we fund education, particularly through loans, we have to talk about the cost of education in this country. It costs way too much. And, and I've heard the argument being made, and it's not, look, it's not without merit that forgiving student loan debt shifts wealth from the poor to the middle and upper middle class because a college degree will allow you to earn more than not having a college degree. So maybe having some skin in the game is not such a bad idea, but there seems to be way too much interest being paid on college debt, way too much interest. And we have to figure out a way to reduce that. Now, I'm not, I'm, look, I don't know where I stand. I mean, I'm not, I don't like college debt. I'd be happy if it was forgiven. I'd be happy if we could figure out a way that people don't have to come out of college with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I'm getting ready uh, in a few years. I'm putting a daughter through college right now and I'm uh, getting ready to put another daughter through college and I've been saving for it. But I'm in a fortunate position that I'm able to do that. So college debt is a major problem. A college education is something that gives you a leg up in this country, no doubt. And it's something that we should have access to and not have to, you know, really change our lives because of the debt that comes out of it. So Bernie Sanders is all about that. 
but I want to see the plan. I want to see how we pay for it. I want to see how we pay for it in a way that actually can get through the Congress. Because this is something that I'm, you know, one of the things I say about Bernie is he's got all these great ideas. Tell me the plan that passes. Because if you don't have a plan that's going to pass, all you're doing is howling at the wind. So I am concerned about that plan. And I am concerned about uh, the senator's ideas that are not substantial. And I wonder how they hold up in a general election. I also wonder if a general election is the place to have the, the, you know, the debate about what is socialism and what is communism. Because the you know, Republicans are going to call whoever, whatever Democrat comes out of the primary, whether it's Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg, anybody who comes, it could be the most moderate, milk toast Democrat, and the president is going to call them a socialist. So my point is, maybe the Democrats shouldn't be worried about that so much. You know, I, I sometimes worry, oh, Bernie calls himself a socialist. Uh, how are we going to have the debate between socialism and communism and totalitarianism during an election? You really can't. They'll just mesh them all into one. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a tough call. But Bernie's got his supporters and they are rabid. They attack me on Twitter when I even question him. And trust me, I'm not a guy who is anti-Bernie or no Bernie or never Bernie. I'm not that guy. He is not my preferred choice. I don't think he is as electable as, you know, Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg. I think there's a lot of holes in Bernie's theories. And I think this primary will, will show that. I mean, you're looking at the primary right now. He's not ahead in New Hampshire. Remember how badly he beat Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire. He's he's in second in New Hampshire to Joe Biden. And Buttigieg is not far behind him in New Hampshire. I mean, it's early. We've got about six or seven, eight months before we vote in in New Hampshire, nine months. But it's odd to see him trailing in New Hampshire, his neighboring state. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, then we'll be back and we'll talk about Mayor Pete. So stick around. All right. So we're back. The Chris Hahn Show podcast at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Tell a friend, America, we're still in the soft launch phase. Big guest in a couple of weeks, and we're going to do the hard launch. We'll do the whole thing. We'll have the brick, they say, on iTunes. I can't wait for that. But uh, I've got a couple of listeners. I really do appreciate you all uh, you know, being early adopters of the Chris Hahn Show, and I hope you're telling your friends that you enjoy it. And I hope you are enjoying it because I'm enjoying talking to you. Again, no guest this week. Uh, next week, I'll be back with my regular guest spot right now, which is where I would normally be introducing a guest. But I'm I'm talking about the presidential election, and I got to spend a minute talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who uh, at, I guess he's 37 years old. He is uh, really young. Uh, I mean, really young to be running for president. Um and and he's in third place. He's shot up, and he's shot up because he's smart. He's incredibly smart. Um, and and Democrats, unlike uh, some other parties in this country, appreciate smart candidates. 
Mayor Pete, it was it was learned uh, he learned how to speak Norwegian so he could read a book that by an author he had enjoyed a book that had been translated into English. When he found out that he had no a bunch of other books, but they weren't translated from the Norwegian, he learned Norwegian so he can read the book. The man's a Rhodes Scholar. He's a veteran, and he's gay, which is you know amazing in and of itself how well he's doing. Uh, he'd be the first openly gay major party presidential candidate if he were to succeed in the primaries. What I really want to talk about, though, with Mayor Pete is uh, this thing that happened this week with Franklin Graham basically calling him out. You know, Mayor Pete, unlike most Democrats, has been trying to reclaim faith as uh, as an issue. Now, I, those of you who know me know that I have a complicated issue with faith. I grew up. Uh, in a evangelical home, I am fully familiar with the Bible and the teachings of Christ, and I am constantly dumbfounded how evangelical Christians across this country support Donald Trump and the Republican agenda, which appears to be the opposite of the Christian agenda. Now, I get it. There's a big movement among Christian conservatives uh, to uh, outlaw abortion or woman's right to choose. And, and while I disagree with that, uh, I understand somewhat where they're coming from, having grown up in that church and in that movement. But, you know, I read the Bible. Mayor Pete read the Bible. And the Bible, especially the New Testament, talks an awful lot about how you treat the poor, how you treat the homeless, the hungry, the needy, the sick. And it appears to me that evangelicals across this country, led by guys like Franklin Graham, who I have called a Pharisee on Twitter on numerous occasions. I've called him a Pharisee on television on numerous occasions. I, I think he's disgusting and despicable. And his, his outright support for Donald Trump is, is amazing to me. Mayor, he, he goes on, he decided that Mayor Pete should repent And Mayor Pete should be rebuked for his sexuality, even though Mayor Pete's in a monogamous married relationship. And Franklin Graham has stood by and watched countless accusations about the president come forward. And and Franklin Graham's like, well, those are personal things. They're not part of his political life. So the hypocrisy from the right, supporting Donald Trump, supporting a party, supporting a party that can care less about the poor and the sick and the needy and the helpless. That's what's getting me. So Mayor Pete's out there talking about his Christian faith. I mean, he grew up in South Bend, Indiana. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I don't know that that prepares you to become president of America. I really don't. But uh, I guess running the Trump organization didn't prepare you. So if you could go from running the Trump organization, you probably can go from being a Rhodes Scholar mayor of a small city in in Indiana. It's the fourth largest city in Indiana. Now, America, Indiana's largest city would be like the 40th largest city in this country, Indianapolis. Great city. I've been there, went there for the Super Bowl when the Giants beat the New England Patriots. And it is a great city. I enjoy that city. And South Bend, Indiana is, is a college town. It is where Notre Dame is. 
But the guy is brilliant. I was not digging it until I saw him on that CNN town hall. And frankly, I only watched the first 20 minutes of it because Sunday night's walking dead night. Sorry, Mayor Pete. I watched the first 20 minutes while I was letting the DVR, you know, get the first 20 minutes of uh, walking dead in. So I didn't have to sit through those commercials, (laughs) but I watched it. And then I started reading about the guy and I've been watching him ever since. And I think he's something special. Now, whether or not he is going to be the next president of the United States, I don't know. But I do think he's going to stick around through these primaries. And I think he's appealing beyond the Democratic Party. And you might say, well, how is middle America going to vote for a homosexual? Well, he's from middle America and they voted for a homosexual. So there you go. I don't think, I honestly think that the gay thing in this country is really only an issue for closeted homosexuals. I don't think it's really a big thing in this country anymore. I think most Americans know somebody who's gay, has a child who's gay, has a cousin who's gay, have friends who are gay, know gay people and do not care. Anybody who cares, Franklin Graham, Mike Pence, have their own issues. It's about them. It's not about their faith. It's not about their religion because Jesus was pretty silent on the issue of gays. Jesus had one real message and that was to love one another. That which you do unto the least of them, you do unto me. Read the book of Matthew, Franklin Graham. So I don't I don't see the gay thing being an issue. I, I see the young thing being an issue. I think a lot of Americans are going to have a hard time with a 37-year-old president of the United States, even though the Constitution allows you to be 35. Maybe he's going to be 38 by the time he takes office or 39. Kennedy was 41. But I think Mayor Pete's got a bright future, whether or not he wins the nomination. I think he's a rising star that is uh, destined for big things in this country, and I hope he stays active. I hope he runs for, if he doesn't win this, I hope he runs for governor of Indiana. I don't know if he could win that. But he's got a pragmatic, progressive approach, which I think is what's needed to win in 2020. I'm not saying you need to be a moderate. That is not what I'm saying. I don't believe that. But you do need to be a pragmatist. You know, Bernie's out there, Medicare for all. Mayor Pete, Medicare for all who want it. I love that line. I've used it. It's a great line. It's brilliant. What that is, is a robust public option. He's calling for what should have been included in Obamacare, a robust public option. Why it got cut? Politics. People were short-sighted. Now everybody wants it. So we'll see where this lands, America. We've got a lot of road to cover before we get to November 2020. We've got a lot of road to cover before we get to Iowa and New Hampshire in early 2020. We've got a lot of candidates. I'm going to talk about all of them. You know, I'm talking about, I just talked about Biden, Buttigieg, and Bernie. And we still got to talk about Kamala Harris, who I think, you know, ultimately may be the most electable of the bunch. 
I have a lot of faith in her. I think she's brilliant. We got to see if she catches on. She's got to start winning. The California primary is early. In fact, the day of the Iowa caucuses is the day early voting starts in California and their primary is in early March this year. So California is going to have a lot to say about who the next president of the United States is. I think I think it's more than likely we're going to have an open convention. I think it's very likely, almost, almost without a doubt in my mind, that the convention is going to be open. We have 19 candidates. We have got five or six of them who are, you know, 10% or close to 10%. They're going to get some traction. They're going to get some delegates. And then we have California and Texas early, early, early in the primary cycle where, you know, maybe the front runner won't be as clear. So the chance of an open convention, while exciting, I mean, it would be very exciting, America. Uh, you know, it might be troubling too. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I think an open convention might get a lot of people watching the convention, right? It won't be a far gone com- conclusion. It might make me go to the convention in Wisconsin. I didn't go last year. I was like, what's the point last time? I was like, what's the point? We know what's happening. Open convention would be something to see, be something to be part of. I think I, I, think I would enjoy it. I think it would get big ratings. I think it would cause the president of the United States to dump his running mate, Mike Pence, which I think he's going to do any, anyway. Because, you know, if Donald Trump's anything, he's a television producer. And what better thing to do during sweeps weeks than to introduce a new character? And if Mike Pence thinks that he's safe on the ticket in 2020, Mike Pence should get his head examined. And I know a guy who could do it. He's got gifted hands. He's the secretary of HUD. His name is Ben Carson. You should give him a call. I think you know his number, Mike Pence. Because I think it's very, very likely. Very likely that the president's going to dump Mike Pence. Maybe he dumps him for Nikki Nikki Haley. Maybe he dumps him for Chris Christie. He's going to dump him for somebody. Because that would make good television. And the president is a TV star. And that's what it's all about for him. All right. Well, look, I hope you enjoyed this uh, this uh, shortened version of my podcast, just talking a little bit about the presidential election. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to this uh, election cycle, America. There's nothing I like more than a competitive election, and this is going to be a real competitive one. It's going to be a barn burner. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn, and also don't forget, Seek the Truth America. I know it's out there. I know you'll find it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers.